Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. So obviously we celebrated Thanksgiving Day on Thursday as a nation here in America. And Rabbi Michael, I trust your day was blessed, uh, whether you were with family or friends. And of course, central to that celebration was the turkey dinner. So I've done this in the past, but I collected some fun facts that I want to share with you before I go into our message. So the first is some 2022 turkey stats. So this was a poll taken of, uh, uh, of about 3,000 American residents. 83% of the people planned on eating turkey on Thanksgiving. How many ate turkey on Thanksgiving? Okay, a majority of us did. But that was down from last year where 88% said they were going to eat. Hmm. Then the average price of turkey per pound this year was $1.53, which was up, surprise, surprise, 12.5%. We know our groceries are higher this year. 74% uh, of the people prepared to have a second protein on the table. 65% uh, wanted ham, 28% wanted chicken, and 7% wanted either roast beef or steak as a second meat for the meal. And then 62% of the people said mashed potatoes were their favorite. Who had mashed potatoes? <laughs> well, they're your favorite. Mashed potatoes. We had mashed potatoes. And uh, uh, so that was uh, the most popular side dish. So I want to share a few fun Turkey Day facts as well. I love looking these things up. So who knows what that plastic piece holding the turkey legs together is called? A hawk lock. All right, so that's called, yeah, exactly. So leftover turkey, in case you're wondering, usually lasts one to four days in the fridge. The average American, I hate to break this to you, consumes 4,500 4, calories on Thanksgiving Day. That's the average. <laughs> a turkey gobble, I'm sure you wanted to know this, can be heard a mile away. All right. We had some turkeys in our backyard a few years ago, and we were so surprised. There was actually three or four of them, and then they flew over the fence. You know, you don't think of turkeys flying, but they flew over the fence into our uh, neighbor's yard. So some historical facts about Thanksgiving. I think we all know this. Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to be the first official United States bird. And we, when those turkeys were in our backyard, Abigail and I was talking about they really are beautiful birds, in and of themselves, right? We think of them <laughs> as meat, but they are beautiful birds. And turkeys are native to eastern United States and northern Mexico. It was brought to Europe in the 16th century, and the first English king to enjoy turkey was King Henry VIII. The tradition of the president pardoning the turkey started in 1963 with Kennedy. It's been a public holiday. Uh, it became a public holiday in 1862. At the first Thanksgiving, there were 50 English settlers, but only five of them were women. Abraham Lincoln is the president that decided to put Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday of every November. And on the first Thanksgiving, there was no turkey. Rather, they ate deer, cornbread, sounds good, seafood, porridge, and wildfowl were served. The first Thanksgiving was only eaten with spoons and knives. Why? The fork hadn't been invented. It would be invented 10 years later. Think about that. 
Thanksgiving leftovers are what inspired the first TV dinner in 1953. Hmm. And Sarah Hale is the woman who wrote the song, Mary Had a Little Lamb, was the one who convinced Abraham Lincoln to make it a holiday. And then I'm going to close with this little fun fact. I like looking at the Butterball Turkey Talk Line. These are real questions that people call in and ask. The first one is, can I thaw my turkey in the toilet? Okay, to say it, someone called and asked that. The second one, can I cook a 30-year-old turkey? After discovering a turkey from 1969 in his dad's freezer, and a man from Alabama called to ask if he could cook that turkey. This person said, can I thaw my turkey on my car luggage rack safely? So she was in California, but driving to Denver and asking how she could safely thaw her turkey upon the, in the air while it was strapped to her car's rack. So the person on the hotline, I said, I don't think that is safe, but she didn't listen and said she was going to do it anyway. Don't know what happened to it. And Someone called and said, asked this question, how did the meat disappear from my turkey? She called wondering where, why her turkey had no, no breast meat on it. And after a conversation with the operator, it became apparent that her turkey was upside down. And I like this one, will chainsaw oil affect my turkey or my roast, my turkey? One man called to tell the operator he cut his turkey in half with a chainsaw and wanted to know if the oil from the chainsaw would adversely affect the turkey. Can't make this up. These are real calls made to the Butterball Turkey Hotline. So every year I look for those to see what they are. So enough turkey talk and <laughs> Thanksgiving talk. We are looking at the second part of our Thanksgiving series entitled Growing in Gratitude. So last week, Rabbi Michael started the series talking about how so often we find ourselves doing the opposite of expressing gratitude and instead find ourselves grumbling. And he shared the consequences of, of grumbling and complaining attitude. And I think we fall into it much more than we realize. As I was reflecting on his message, looking at it, I realized that it's so easy for me even to begin to complain, and we call it everything else but complaining. You know, just need to vent, I just need to let you know what happened, and in reality, I find myself complaining. One writer defined gratitude, and then he focused on the benefits of being thankful and talked about how to develop gratitude. So I want to share one definition of gratitude is a function not of how much we have, the author said, the opposite of gratitude is the feeling of entitlement. The attitude, I deserve it, turns every gift into a paycheck. So we need to recognize that thankfulness is not based on what we have. And if we walk around with that attitude of I deserve to receive this or that, then it's hard to have that heart of gratitude or thankfulness in us. And the writer of that article went on to say that the Hebrew word for gratitude is hakarat hatov, which literally means recognizing the good. And I think Rabbi Michael spoke on this in his message. And the secret embedded in the Hebrew, the article says, is that gratitude depends not on getting something good, but on recognizing the good that is already yours. 
the good that is already in your life. Eli Weisel, we know who he is, a famous writer, Jewish writer, said that when a person doesn't have gratitude, something is missing in his or her humanity. A person can almost be defined by his or her attitude towards gratitude. And that's why the sages, he says, encourage us that before we come and petition God with our long list of requests, and not that we shouldn't because God tells us in his word to make our requests known to him, but we should first acknowledge all that he has already done for us. Again, the, that part of seeing the good in things. So today I'm going to continue and conclude this message on growing in attitude. And I'm going to be talking about the qualities of a grateful person that enable them to remain grateful no matter what is happening uh, in their lives. It's easy to be thankful when we have Thanksgiving week and everyone is gathered around and this season of the year, people tend to be kinder and friendlier. But gratefulness is something that should be maintained every day of our life, every day of the year. So I believe that if we cultivate these qualities, that we will be grateful no matter what is happening around us. The reality is we cannot control always our environment or our circumstances, but we can control who we are. So here are six qualities that I thought make a grateful person. The first one, and you can take this on your notes, is grateful people are content. They are full, content, and blessed regardless of their circumstance. And we think of Rav Shaul when he tells us in Philippians 4, 11, and 12, I have learned to be content regardless of circumstances. I know what it is to be in want, and I know what it is to have more than enough. In everything and in every way, I have learned the secret of being full and being hungry, of having abundance and being in need. So Rob Shaul, if you know historically what's going on as he's writing this letter to the Kehilah in Philippi, he is in prison. Now, it wasn't a pretty prison. It didn't have the modern, uh, modern amenities that uh, our prisons have. He was in chains and stocks more than likely. Uh, but even in that place, he was content, and he was encouraging this congregation that they could do the same. Grateful people are people who are content. We think of Rav Shaul, and we think of the awesome ministry that he had as he wrote uh, the majority of the New Covenant outside of the Bisarot and the Gospels and, uh, the Gospels and the Book of Acts. Uh, we think of his... Uh, uh, ministry and all the emissary trips he took and how he impacted the world for the good with the good news of Messiah probably more than anyone else in the first century he impacted the whole known world and yet if we read between the lines we should remember that this man suffered a lot in all that he did in all of his travels, and he talks uh, uh, about it in, in one passage when he's recounting, you know, I was beaten, I was uh, thrown in the prison, I was shipwrecked, I was, all these things happen. And yet he can say, I learned how to be content. I've been hungry, which you might be right now, my stomach's getting ready to growl, it's that time of the day. He says, I've been hungry, and I've been full. I've had plenty and I've had little. And it doesn't matter which situation that is, I've learned to be content. So a grateful person is a person who has, has learned to be content. And unfortunately, contentment is 
not easily seen in our modern world as we uh, tend to have that attitude of I deserve, like the article was talking. I deserve and I need more and better. And then when we compare ourselves with others and, and almost inevitably there's an area lacking in our life. And what does that create? That creates dissatisfaction. And uh, in our modern world, uh, getting more is always pushed in front of you. The advertisements that bombard us, right? Get more and you'll you get this and get that. And you're, you're like, what are these things? They want us to buy, right? But the whole purpose of buying these things is uh, the commercials tell you that you'll be happier and you'll be more content. So friends, we need to know that contentment has nothing to do with what we have or don't have. It's something that takes place in our heart. And content people are people who are grateful, no matter what is going on in their life. Recognizes a content person, a grateful person, recognizes that life circumstances cannot control the attitude of their heart. Grateful people are content people. The second thing is that grateful people focus on the right things. Looking once again at Rob Shul's letter to the Kehilah in Philippi, in Philippians 4.8, he says, in conclusion, brothers, focus your thoughts. Can you say that with me? Focus your thoughts. Let's read that verse together. On what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Wow. See, a grateful person focuses on the right things. So Rav Shaul talks about this focus before he talks about the, the, uh, the first point, being content. Focusing on the right thing, learning to be content regardless of our circumstances has to do with our focus. It is so easy to focus on challenges that we are facing, the difficulties before us, the lack of things that we might see in our life, or the pressures we feel in the day-to-day -day living. But this type of focus leads us to complaining and not thanksgiving. Unfortunately, believers are noted for being the worst in the complaining department. It's my phone on the front row. So whoever it is will call me back. You can give it to my family. Yeah, it's, you can give my purse to my family. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That happened once before when I, I bought a brand new phone. It was brand new, and the phone was ringing. I said, I know it's not for me because nobody has the new numbers. So I turned the phone on in the morning because sometimes people, you text me to let me know if you might be late or something. I forgot to turn it off. So focusing. Ah, see, back to our point. We're going to focus here. So learning to be content, as I said, regardless of our circumstances, has to do with focus. And it's so easy to focus on the wrong things in our lives. And when we do that, it is going to lead to complaining or dissatisfaction, certainly not gratitude. And it's, again, easy to do that. And we live in a world where uh, complaining is just a part of life, right? And people be, can easily focus on what is not uh, good. And if we can turn our focus off those things, and I get it, this is, this is the challenge we have. If I don't 
if I turn my focus off those things, then it's like I'm denying that those things are happening in my life. No, 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 friends, that's not what, what it is. So Rav Shaul knew when he was hungry. He knew when he was shipwrecked. He wasn't denying that those things happened to him, but he chose to focus on the good, the lovely, praiseworthy things. And that's what you and I can do as well. By focusing on the good things, it doesn't mean that we're denying that we're going through a rough season of life. And sometimes there's a hesitancy on the part of believers to switch their focus because of that reason. They think if I change my focus, I'm giving in and, and I'm letting, and, and people won't know that right now I'm struggling and I'm going through something and God won't know it. That's not true, friends. So grateful people know where to focus. So no matter what is happening, we want to be grateful in our hearts, and it needs to go beyond the superficial by focusing on God and all the things he has done for us. So we've been reciting psalms the last week here in our service, Friday, uh, Wednesday night. We recited four or five different psalms of giving thanks. Seven times in the scriptures it tells us to thank Adonai because he is good. Eleven times we are told to thank Adonai because his mercy endures forever. What other attributes of Adonai can we focus on? Again, I'm going to take our minds to focus on the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. He is holy. He is righteous. He is faithful. Oh, goodness. Great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning, Kohelet said. Just meditating on that alone. How faithful has God been in your life and in this congregation? Faithful, faithful. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We encouraged you a few weeks ago in my Taste of Torah from Chayaser, uh, I think it was, or Vayera, that he says, nothing is too difficult for me. Why? Because he is all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's sovereign. He's patient. Since I'm long-suffering, not quick, right? He talks about that with Moshe. He is love. He is the essence of love. He is love. He does not change. He is today who he was yesterday and will be tomorrow who he is today. He is the same, never, ever changing. He does not lie. So the promises that he has made to you and me, he will fulfill them. See, these are the good things you and I can focus on. He is truth and he is wisdom. I can focus on his salvation to me. We talk about it a lot in the high holy day season, but what are we grateful for? I am grateful my name is written in the book of life. Why? Because he gave me salvation, right? He pulled me out of the miry clay and set my feet on solid rock. That I can focus on. I was lost, but now I am fine. I was blind, but now I see, as the blind man said. That's you and me when we come to faith in him. I can focus on that. I can focus on his miracles. 
We have testimony of God working miracles and healings here in our own congregation and in our lives. His deliverance and his blessing in our lives. Grateful people know where to focus. Focus on the right thing. Number three, grateful people serve God and others. One article I was reading about gratefulness said that grateful people serve others with their talent, their time, and money. It said serving is a demonstration of appreciation, respect, and love. That can be done in a selfish, ungrateful way, but when it is done right, it is a blessing both to the server and the served. Rob Shaul writes this to young Timothy. He says, and I thank the one who has given me strength the Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, and he considered me trustworthy enough to put me in his service. Grateful people are people who are willing to serve. There are so many examples in the scripture of people who served and served faithfully even in not the best of circumstances. We can think of Joseph. We're getting ready to come up, up to read about Joseph soon in our Torah reading. He served his masters faithfully, but that wasn't a good situation. Again, he was a slave. He was a foreigner in a foreign land, but he served faithfully. David served King Saul. Even though King Saul, you know, threw the javelin at him, King Saul was a little wild of a man, but David served him faithfully. Then Joshua served Moshe, and over and over again, we can see these examples in the scriptures, and we never, ever hear them grumbling or complaining. They never grumbled or complained. Rav Shaul says to the Kehillah in Philippians 2.14, do everything without kvetching or grumbling. Do everything. Everything we do. See, a grateful person is a person who serves without the complaining and the grumbling. So the founder of The Navigators, The Navigators is a discipleship program started years ago by name, a man named Dawson Trotman. And they really encourage discipleship uh, and especially the area of Bible reading, Bible memorization and things. So he was on a trip... Uh, to Taiwan, and he visited a Taiwanese spiritual leader there in one of the mountain villages and met with some other national believers. The roads and trails were very wet, and their shoes became very muddy. And so later someone asked this uh, Taiwanese spiritual leader what he remembered most about this man, Dawson Trotman, and without hesitation, he said, he cleaned my shoes. He cleaned my shoes. This man was so in awe that Dawson Trotman, who was an international, again, speaker in the believing world, would take the time to clean his shoes. That was his servant's heart, his attitude that this man had, a spirit of servanthood, and that's the spirit we sh should have. And in fact, even when he died, it was serving someone else. He died saving someone else from drowning, this man who was the founder. So we want to, to have a heart to serve. And cultivating a servant heart is so important. Again, in the society that focuses on me first, it can be hard.
but with Adonai's help, we can be those who look to serve rather than be served. That's what it says of Yeshua, right, in Matthew 20, 28. It says, the Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve. Of all people who should be served, shouldn't it have been the Messiah? But that was not his heart attitude. He came to serve others. And tied in with that is number four. A grateful person is generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12. Rav Shaul says to the Kehillah at Corinth, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. One article said, a thankful heart is not selfish, but realizes the gift of generosity. How do we maintain gratefulness is to be generous. We want to be those who serve, but we want to give generously as well. Another writer said this about grateful people. He says, you are magnanimous with your words and you have room in your wallet and your schedule for other people's needs and you don't live with a self-seeking agenda. Why? Because you know if you've been given much, you will be given more. And you don't have to hoard resources or feed your ego. You are extravagant with your words. You have room in your wallet and your schedule for other people's needs. And you don't live with a self-seeking agenda. Why? Because you know, again, if you've been given much, you will be given more. All right? And so a grateful person is a person who is generous. Time, money, talent, every area, and that ties into being served. It's hard to serve if you're not generous. It's hard to serve if you're only looking to your resources, your time, and your talent, how it can benefit you. But when we look in the New Covenant at the example set before us, it is a people who were generous, generous in every area of life. So we want to maintain our gratefulness. Being generous is a good way to do that. So we have an opportunity as a congregation to bless the veterans. Most of us will never see these veterans, uh, but we have an opportunity to bless them. Even though we might not see them personally and they may never say thank you to our face, that's a good thing. It's okay. We have an opportunity to give generously to give them something special that they can do, right? And that's, that's the heart that we want to have. And when we have that heart of being generous, it helps us to maintain gratitude in our hearts. So looking for opportunities to give to God. Number five, grateful people are not anxious. Going back to Philippians, a lot of my message came from Rob Shaul's book to the Kehillah in Philippi. He says, don't worry about anything. On the contrary, make your requests known to God by prayer and petition with what? With thanksgiving. Grateful people are able to face whatever is happening because of the assurance that they have God's presence in their lives. Anxiety doesn't control them because they know who he is. And again, all of these points tie together. So if my focus is where it's supposed to be, then I'm going to be able to deal with any anxious thoughts that come. All right? 
So Rav Shaul says, when you get anxious, he's saying, be anxious for nothing. In other words, I know anxiety comes all over you, but you don't have to be anxious. Make your request known to God and be at peace with who he is in your life. So one commentator explains the struggle that Rav Shaul is addressing when he's describing the anxiety of the, uh, the Philippians were feeling. He said it was an anxious, harassing care that unreasonable anxiety which rises in one who is full of cares, especially about the future, and thus distracted in mind. He said it is an actual reaction of a person in poverty, hunger, and other troubles of life. The hostility from the Philippians' neighbors and the possible threat of persecution to this infant congregation may have well caused uh, these Philippians to worry. But whatever the particular circumstance that gave rise to their anxiety, they are now urged by Rav Shaul to be anxious in nothing. Such a comprehensive admonition does not presuppose a superficial attitude to the Philippians' troubles. The article says, Rav Shaul's own precarious situation in prison shows once again that he knew about serious danger only too well and so he could write with some feeling on the subject. In other words, Rav Shaul wasn't telling them, don't be anxious, you know, even though you're facing a difficult situation, without knowing the feeling of anxiety that tried to creep, creep up in his own heart. He was in prison. He was facing difficulties himself. So he's writing out of his own experience and saying, I get it. You know, sometimes when things are bearing against us, it is very easy to want to give in to anxiety. But when I keep my focus on who God is, and he's the one who told them to do that in this, uh, this uh, epistle, then I do not have to give in to anxiety. And he says, you can do the same. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your future. Don't let anxiety overwhelm you. Not because you're not facing problems in your life, but because you know who's in control. So you see how these points weave together? Because I know who's in control ultimately in my life. It's God Almighty. So I don't have to give in to anxious thoughts. And when I'm not giving in to anxious thought, gratefulness is a natural response to my life. And number six, grateful people choose to be grateful. Thankfulness is a choice that we each can make. In Tehillim 275.1, it says, we give thanks to God. We give thanks. Your name is near people tell of your wonders. And then in Tehillim 9, 1 and 2, I give thanks to Adonai with my heart. I will tell about all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praises to your name. It's a choice the psalmist is making, and it's a choice that you and I get to make. Choosing to be grateful is connected to the fact that grateful people have hope. Again, an article I was reading says, how does a discipline of gratitude sustain hope? I think gratitude teaches our heart the truth about God's kindness and faithfulness. He kindly places goodness, grace, and redemption in everything, and gratitude helps us to see it. <clears throat> and gratitude reminds us God's strength, love, and that faithfulness. It reminds us that we are loved and not forgotten.
So I can choose, choose to be grateful. Again, how do I make that choice? It's knowing in my heart of hearts that God is for me and not against me. Knowing that he only wants good in our lives. And yet recognizing that this journey here on earth, there's going to be some challenges that we're all going to face. There's going to be difficult seasons that we go through. And Rabbi Michael and I never want to minimize that. We understand it. And we understand some of you might be in a challenging situation right now. But even in those moments, I can choose to cultivate gratefulness in my heart. I do that because I'm rooted in who Messiah is and what he has done in my life. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Rob Shaul says to the Kehillah Colossus, Therefore, just as you receive the Messiah Yeshua as Lord, keep living your life united with him. Remain deeply rooted in him. Continue being built up and in him and confirmed in your trust the way you were taught so that you overflow with what? Thanksgiving. You overflow with it. How can I overflow with gratitude? Because I'm making a choice. And how can I make the choice? Because I'm rooted and grounded in Messiah and who he is in my life. We get to choose to be grateful every day and in every moment. So maybe you're thinking, wow, Rabbi Carol, I don't really have these qualities. Well, the good news is we can cultivate them. How? Well, let's try being content with what we have. And no matter what is happening, let's choose to focus on all the good that is already in our lives. Let's also look for opportunities to serve and give to God and to others. And then let's rest in his presence, right? And release those anxious thoughts as we choose to be grateful people. Let's stand to our feet. Father, now we thank you for your word. We thank you for this season of giving thanks, Lord, as a nation. But I pray that you would help each one of us uh, to grow in gratitude, uh, Lord, in this coming year, that gratitude would be a hallmark of our lives, that when people look at Beth Emanuel as a congregation and the individual people here, uh, they would see people who have learned to be grateful in every situation. Uh, God, that we would, uh, uh, as that last verse said, that it would overflow out of us, God. Overflowing, overflowing gratitude and thanksgiving to people around us. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we want to... Uh, Close with the ironic benediction. Uh, before we do, I want to give opportunity. If you do not have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, uh, well, today that can change. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone in the congregation and online to join me in this prayer. And it is the most important prayer decision you will ever make. And we want to encourage you that we are here to help you grow in what you're about to pray. So please pray after me, congregation. Adonai. Thank you for loving me and sending Yeshua to die for my sins. I repent and accept your sacrifice on my behalf. Amen. Amen.
If you prayed that prayer, please talk to me or my husband after service. If you're here in person, online, you can message us. We would like to encourage you uh, to grow in the prayer you just prayed. And God has good things for you. So we're going to close with the ironic benediction. And again, bless your Shabbat day. May you uh, continue to enjoy family and friends. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you at our activities this week. May Adonai bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace of Adonai. May we all grow in gratitude in this year ahead. God bless. Blessed.